Let's pray, and we're going to open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the Cain train, the Cain train. Genesis 4, we'll be looking at verses 17 through 26. This is a Bible teaching church. If you're a visitor with us today, we go through the Bible verse by verse in an expository fashion, which just simply means we're going to just try to expose what God has to say in his word. I never have Saturday night jitters as a pastor. I know exactly what we're going to do the next week. And as soon as we're finished on a Sunday, I just start preparing again and praying over the text. And God always has a way of meeting us right where we are through his word. Let's pray one more time. Father, we're so grateful to see this come to pass, to see this wonderful building. We want to take a moment with uh, one heart to dedicate it to you officially right now. This building is yours, Lord. It doesn't belong to a man or a group of men or even a congregation, although we will call it home hopefully for years to come. This is a building for you, Lord. May you inhabit it with your glory. May as you promised, may you inhabit the praises of your people. May your glory be on display. May this pulpit never compromise to the cultural winds or to even the church compromising. Help us, Lord, in the midst of a generation where the train is running down the track, oftentimes in ways that we would wish it would not. Help us to be bold and courageous as we preach, yet help us to be loving and patient because we too all have a past All of us were saved from something. You've been so good to us and so gracious. So help us find that balance where we can speak truth, but speak it in love. And Lord, as we honor you with the reading of your word now and the study of your word, may you lead this study where you want it to go. But more than that, may you penetrate our hearts with the power of your word to set us more free, to transform our lives, to make us more into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. Genesis 4, look with me at verse 17. It says, and Cain had relations with his wife, Genesis 4, 17, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he, that is in context, Cain, built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, if you were with us last Sunday, we And I would encourage you, hold a finger in Genesis and go all the way to the book of Jude for a second, all the way just before Revelation. Hold your place in Genesis and go to Jude. If you were with us last time, as we looked at the story of Cain, God had been warning Cain. He told Cain that sin was crouching at his door. And sin, we talked about its stealth nature. It's pictured as a beast kind of hiding It doesn't just show up in your little thing where you can see out your front door and say, hello, I'm sin, would you let me in? No, sin is more stealth. It crouches at the door. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. You're gonna have moments in your life when Things are pounding at the door. And you're going to have to decide which reality you're going to let in. Are you going to let sin in or are you going to let Jesus in? 
Jesus, I'm gonna give credit to the Colemans for reminding me of that verse because I know God put that on your heart. Jesus is the way of escape. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to all of us. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you can bear, but with the temptation, he will provide what? A way of escape or the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Jesus is the way of escape. And whenever sin is knocking at the door, just open the other door and let Jesus in. He'll give you the power. But sometimes what we do when we're tempted is we run from God and Cain was warned. He said, sin's crouching at the door. God said to him, don't let it in. And I think Cain, for whatever reason, just kind of brushed that aside. And the sin that was controlling Cain, like so many people, was anger. He was angry that his sacrifice, his offering was not accepted, but his brother's was. And he took that anger out on Abel. He let sin win. So many of us, you know, we could, it's probably more than we can count. We, we've had sin banging on the door and we let sin win. We let it in. And God said, don't do that. If you master sin, if you do better, you do, you'll do well. It'll even, remember, it'll even change your face, Cain. It'll change your countenance. If you do well, you can improve. You can master sin. That's from God to Cain. Uh, Paul wrote in Romans 6, 11, even so consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin, Romans 6, 14, shall not be master over you for you are not under law, but you are under grace. You don't have to let sin win as a Christian. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And tapping into that power is one of the most important things that you can do. But Cain blew it and he gave in to sin. And Jude comments on the way of Cain. But before we go to Jude 11, go to Jude. Only one chapter. Look at verse 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, Jude 1 verse 3. I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. They're almost like sin, they're stealth. Those who were uh, long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Skip down to verse 11. In context, false teachers who are tricky, they're, they're kind of secret in the way they go about things. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone the way of who? The way of Cain. And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the era of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Three notorious Old Testament characters who instead of doing it God's way, did it their way. And my friends, I will tell you this, my brothers and sisters, I think you know this. You get to decide which way you're gonna take. The ball has been hit to you and you get to decide what you wanna do with it. That's the nature of free will. God pours out grace, he woos us by his Holy Spirit. He's got all the grace and more. 
but we must respond or we will go the way of Cain. Back to Genesis 4. So Cain gave in to his anger. He took it out on his brother. He couldn't take it out on God. I think God was his ultimate target, but he couldn't reach God, so he took it out on Abel. But he was mad at God. Are you mad at God? There's a lot of people that get mad at God. Usually it's because you don't understand something, and I fully appreciate that. I know we have question marks in this world. We have things that happen that are inexplicable to us at times, and we wonder, God, what are you doing? And, and for Cain, maybe he was wondering why God didn't accept his sacrifice, but in the end, it was about his heart. He didn't offer the sacrifice in faith. It wasn't the material sacrifice per se that was the problem, it was his heart. God wanted Cain's heart. And Cain killed his brother, and he became a marked man. I don't know if we have the uh, PowerPoint up in the booth, guys, but if we do, uh, maybe you can put it up there, and if we don't, don't worry about it. He was a marked man. I told you that the, the mark was the word, uh, it's signified by the word oat, and in the old uh, Hebrew picture language, the word is the beginning and the end, or the leader nailed to the cross. The last letter of the Hebrew word ot in the old script is a cross, and it means the leader. The middle uh, letter is a nail, nailed to the cross. Maybe that's the mark that Cain bore. Maybe he walked around, even though he was a wanderer, he walked around with a mark of grace. He settled in the land of Nod. Do you remember? The land of Nod means settled, but he was a wanderer. And he probably wandered for decades. How many of you remember the song by Dion, The Wanderer? Remember that song? Well, I'm the type of guy who will never settle down, says Dion. Where pretty girls are, well, you know that I'm around. I kiss them and I love them because to me, they're all the same. I hug them and I squeeze them. They don't even know my name. They call me The Wanderer. Yeah, The Wanderer. I roam around and around and around. Y'all know it? Oh, well, there's Flo on my left arm and there's Mary on my right. And Jenny's the girl with, uh, that I'll be with tonight. And when she asks me which one I love the best, I'll tear open my shirt and show her Rosie on my chest because I'm the wanderer. Yeah, the wanderer. Can I hear it? I roam around and around. <laughs> I know. Oh, well, I roam from town to town. I go through life without a care. And I'm as happy as a clown with my two fists of iron, but I'm going nowhere. Do you feel a little pain in the song? I won't put you through the pain of the rest of the lyrics. <laughs> but I'll tell you this. Many times in music, we can hear people shaking their fists, taking the train cane, the, the cane train. I, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going I'm to be, I'll be a wanderer. I'll go from town to town. I'll, I'll, whatever relationship I want to partake in and all the time. What they don't realize is that God's way, Christ's train is the way to peace the way to fulfillment. If you go out and you try to do it the way of Cain and you let sin win, 
you will be empty even though you're shaking your fist at heaven and even though you're pronouncing that you can do whatever you want to do, sin has a way of destroying you. There was a woman in Jesus' ministry brought to him, caught in the act of adultery, caught in the very act. And Jesus was there. And they said, Master, she's been caught in the act. What do you say? The law of Moses says to stone her. They were trying to trap him. They began to write in the ground. We don't know what he wrote. There's a passage in Jeremiah that may indicate what he wrote. Some people believe he drew three crosses in the ground. And he said, okay, whoever's without sin, you go ahead and cast the first stone. And from the oldest to the youngest, they left. And then Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? I have none, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Here's the question. What did Cain do after he got the mark? His brother was dead, but he got to go on with his life. He's the wanderer. God says, you're gonna wander, but, but I'm gonna put a mark on you, and that mark is gonna tell people that if they try to kill you, because that was Cain's worry, right? Not that he killed his brother, not what it did to his family, not what it did to his parents. He was filled with self-pity. God, it's too much. Your punishment is too much. It's more than I can bear. And God said, I'll put a mark on you. I think it was a mark of grace. And this mark will be with you wherever you go. It will keep you. This is what God has done for us. You may have made a tragic mistake or two or three in your life. And you may be trying to go on. And that's a good thing to do. You may feel like you're a wanderer right now. But I think even in this text, there's hope of grace. There's a, there's a cross where Jesus said, Father, blame me. Now, Enoch moves on with his life. Let's see what he does, because this is huge to see what his life's gonna be about. So Cain has relations with his wife. Many people say, where did his wife come from? Well, Cain got a wife from the family of origin where everybody came from, which was Adam and Eve. So his wife had to be his sister. Don't worry about that. The law doesn't really comment on that until later. It wasn't sinful at the time. That's how, the, that's how humanity had to spread out. And then with the gene pool and everything else, God's law went into place. That that's not the way to do it. In fact, if you look at Genesis 5, look at verse 4. It says, the days of Adam after he became the father of Seth were 800 years and he had what? other sons and daughters. You need to know something, that the Bible compresses accounts. It doesn't necessarily give you all the detail. If it did, it would be a long book. Adam lived 800 years after Seth was born. There were lots of other sons and daughters that were born. You say, well, then what's the, what's the time frame? Well, it would appear that Cain probably for decades wandered. And then there were other people who populated the planet. He found a wife he was intimate with her, and a child was born. Cain had relations with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Enoch, 417 in Genesis, and he built a city, and he called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. You, just, you can write in the margin there, Enochville. That's actually what it was called. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the question. Why did Cain build a city? Was he shaking his fist at God? 
Was he saying, you may say I'm a wanderer, but I'm building a city. And I'll get lost in the big city, and I'll name it after my son. And if we give Cain a break, maybe he built the city so his son wouldn't follow in his footsteps. Amen? Maybe he said, I'm a wanderer, but I don't want my son to be a wanderer, so I'll build a city where he can dwell. How many of us are trying to make up for past mistakes that way, right? I don't want my son or my daughter to repeat my mistakes, so we try to put some things in place, and there's nothing wrong with that. But was Cain's building of the city really an act of defiance to God? Was he saying, you may say that this is my punishment, but I'm building a city. There's only two places, I think, in the first 11 chapters where cities are built. The other city was called Babel. That did not end well. And people can get lost in cities. And I think maybe Cain built the city. It may have been a tiny little place. I don't know. But maybe the city was an attempt at self-salvation. When I say self-salvation, what I'm talking about is an attempt to save himself. Instead of paying attention to the mark of grace, he thought, I'll build a place. How many of us do that? I'll find a place of safety. I'll build it and then I'll dwell there and I'll be fine there. But all the while, we're just defying God. You see, if you don't build on Jesus Christ, your house is on sand. And and the sand is gonna give way in the day of judgment. There's only one foundation upon which we can build. Listen to this. This is Psalm 49, 11 through 13. It says, their inner thought is that their houses are forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They have called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. Psalm 49, 11 through 13. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who are foolish and of those after them who approve their words. Selah, pause, think about it. Many people build buildings. They put their name on it, family's name. But the psalmist says, but they're gonna die. You know, uh, Solomon built all these buildings, right? He tried to do all this stuff, but he was disconnected from God and the buildings would not last. And he bemoaned his life as vanity. He said, it's emptiness because I know I'm gonna leave this to somebody else. The cane train is I'll build stuff. I'll make improvements. I'll make society better. I'll build a city. I'll build a tower. God's way is, yeah, build stuff but build it for the sake of a kingdom that will last. Amen? You know, the American dream is all about building, and I have no problem with that. I've had the privilege of seeing many successes in my life and many failures. I'm not talking about not trying to be a successful person. I'm not talking about doing your best because you should give your best as a Christian. But I'm talking about if you build stuff without God, you're gonna come to the end of your life with major regrets. And that seems to be Cain. We asked the question last week, did Cain repent? Well, he's not spoken of highly in the, Old Te- in the uh, New Testament. Henry Morris comments on things that are going on in the building of the city. He says, it is interesting that one of the identifying marks which evolutionary anthropology uses to denote the emergence of a Stone Age culture into a civilized society is the the development of urbanization. But according to the Bible, the first such city is a city built by Cain. In the very first generation after Adam, no long million year development here, close quote. But what about the cavemen? (laughs) 
He's in the Geico commercials, isn't he? (laughs) Apparently not. Right after Adam and Eve are there and kicked out of the Garden of Eden, what do we have? Cities being built. We think people were so stupid back in the day, yet we find structures in archaeology that we can't even explain. We don't even know how they built them. You see, the message that you may be hearing in history classes and secular colleges that, by the way, beat up Christian students to no end and try to make it sound like what they believe is ridiculous. Actually, the joke's on them because they're hanging their hat on a lie. And I think it's very clear, even in history and archaeology, that the Bible stands true. Now to Enoch, verse 18, Genesis 4, was born Irad. And Irad became the father of that guy, <laughs> Mehujael. And Mehujael became the father of Methushael. And Methushael became the father of Lamech. Now some of you are saying, this is why I don't read the Old Testament. <laughs> exactly why. Hey, I've got news for you. If, you, if you're in a Bible study and you just say Methushael and say it with confidence, everyone will believe you. Because nobody knows how to pronounce the names anyway. So just say it with confidence. Lamech. Mehujael. The L endings, by the way, are the name of God, L. So Lamech is now going to rise uh, in prominence in the text. Notice verse 19. And Lamech took to himself two wives. Uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go, right? Genesis 2:24 A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. <laughs> Singular. And the two shall become one flesh. But Lamech out of the gate, what does he do? He took. It almost like has force to it. He took to himself two wives. Now, you may say I read a lot of accounts of major Bible characters who Seemed to have multiple wives. Some of them had a second wife, like in the case of Abram, which we'll study later in the book. And he took Hagar as his wife because Sarai could not give birth to children. And back in the day, that's why a second wife sometimes came into the family because there was uh, trouble in bearing children. And that was major to have an heir in that society. But We don't know that that's why Lamech did it. He just seems to take a couple of wives. One writer says, however, no matter if the Bible doesn't always condemn polygamy, however, nearly every polygamous household in the Old Testament suffers most unpleasant and shattering experiences, close quote. Well, you all know what happened with Sarai and Hagar, little fighting in the kitchen, if you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it sounded like a great idea until it really happened. Do you know that now, with marriage being redefined in our culture and same-sex marriage now being accepted all over the United States, there are groups that are coming right behind it and calling for group marriage now. It's called polyamory. I'm not kidding. In fact, probably 15 years ago, James Dobson warned the country that this was coming, and it's here In fact, I saw a TV show not many months ago where this is exactly what a a group was doing. It was something like three guys and two girls and they're married. Now, they were smiling for the cameras, but I got news for you. If you're a fly on the wall at an evening meal 
it ain't going to be pretty. God's ways are good. And when you have an intimate relationship with a person for a long time, the first thing that happened, by the way, in this church yesterday was a wedding. It's, it's really cool. A couple got married right up here yesterday. Yeah. And you know what I said? I said, you guys know a certain level of love right now, but you're going to know a love that's deeper and more incredible in 20 years. My beautiful bride, responsible for a lot of the things that are around this building and worked so hard, we've celebrated 25 years of marriage and God has been so good to us. If you asked my wife and I, yeah, you can clap for her. If you ask my wife and I what's made our relationship work, we'll tell you, Jesus Christ. He saved us. He allowed us to build our marriage on the rock. And he is good. But Lamech took these wives, verse 19, the name of one was Ada, the name of the other was Zillah. So here, her first name was God, by the way. I'm just kidding, just kidding. That flew over some of your heads. And it should have, because it wasn't even in my notes. Anyway, and Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was, his name actually means wanderer. Verse 20, he was the father of those who dwell in tents. I want you to notice what's happening now through the line of Cain, through the Cain train. People are starting to invent stuff. In fact, Jabel, he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Comprehensive term, meaning he was a man who uh, had animal, an animal uh, industry began there, maybe even the eating of meat. And he was the first to make tents. His name means wanderer, so he had a tent company. And what we're seeing is things begin to be invented early on in man's existence. Cain's line begins to distinguish itself. It's creative, it's inventive. His brother's name was Jubal. His name means sound. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. So he was the father the lyre, when you see that L-Y-R-E in your Bible, is a stringed instrument very much like a guitar. Jubal invented the guitar. Did you know that? Way back in the day. How many of you have a Jubal guitar? Raise up your hand. You don't? Okay. I thought maybe there was a... And he was the father of all those who smoked pipes, which is interesting. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it says. Never mind. But here we see industry beginning. As for Zillah, look at verse 22. She also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. Her name means pleasant, graceful, or gorgeous. So here's the deal. When you introduce your kids, you say, here's Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal. <laughs> now I know some of you have done that with your kids' names and we have counseling set up for that, but <laughs> Jabel, Jubal, Tubal, and Nama. <laughs> Where'd that come from? I don't know. Maybe they figured it out by the time she came around. And notice the forger of all implements of bronze. Things are being, bronze and iron uh, are being created. It's interesting that uh, if you look at the name Jubal, it comes from, all these names actually come from Yobel as a root, which means ram or the ram's horn. In fact, the name Jubal, back to the music, 
probably has its root in the idea of the year of Jubilee. Sound, introduced by the way, the year of Jubilee is announced with a ram's horn. And in 1967, when Jerusalem was taken by Israel as a result of the Six-Day War, a man, a rabbi, stood with a ram's horn and blew it in 1967, right at the day of the year of Jubilee. If you go back and start looking at dates, it's really interesting, and we are here again. Do you know that the year of Jubilee just began on the Day of Atonement in September of 2015? And we had four blood moons, and look, I'm not telling you what I know what it means, but now, right after that, we've had the year, we're in the year of Jubilee. I'm just telling you, folks, Every time something like this has occurred in the last 100 years or so, it has meant war in Israel, but it's also meant something else, Israel having deeper possession of what God gave them, because the year of Jubilee is all about restoration. It's all about returning to family inheritance and lands that you lost and things that were uh, given up for whatever life circumstances may have thrown your way, and the year of Jubilee announced by the, the ram's horn said you can go back, everything's being restored back to you. That's what Jubilee's about. That's what God's about, by the way. He'll restore the years that the locust has eaten if you will just follow him. That's what he'll do. And so we have all these inventions, all this cool stuff going on. Uh, Tubal Cain evidently was the inventor of metallurgy. Here's Henry Morris once again. He says, once again, it is significant to note that elements which modern evolutionary archaeologists and anthropologists identify as the attributes of the emergence of evolving men from the Stone Age into true civilization, namely urbanization, agriculture, animal domestication, and metallurgy, all were accomplished quickly by the early descendants of Adam and did not take hundreds of thousands of years. Musical instruments, another important aspect of modern culture, were also in early development. All of these things, in addition, confirm the necessary existence of a written language for formal communication. More and more modern archaeological discoveries today are verifying the high degree of technology possessed by the earliest men, thus indirectly validating the Bible. So people say the Stone Age was from 100,000 to 4,000 B.C., the uh, Chalcolithic Age from 4,000 to 3,200 B.C., the Bronze Age from 3,200 to 1,200 B.C., and the Iron Age from 1,200 to 330 B.C., but we just had somebody in the line of Cain invent bronze and iron at the same time. You see, the Bible's testimony is that man was doing things very quickly and it may still be that man was using more of his brain. I don't know at that time because ages were longer then and maybe man was uh, inventing all this stuff. And so you have all these inventions. The cane train ridden by Lamech and his children. But it's the spirit of the age. There's no glory to God, no credit to God here. It's just simply things that are being invented. And now Lamech is about to sing a song. It's like the first poem structure in the Bible. The first song 
It's the song of Lamech. It was played back in the day on K-Kane, 77.7. And Lamech said to his wives, so he calls his wives in, the two wives, verse 23, Ada and Zillah. He said, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I've killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech 77-fold. How you like my song? Maybe he's playing it on a Jubal guitar. I killed a man. Now, we all have heard songs, haven't we? I shot the sheriff. <laughs> Some of you are saying, I have no idea what that song is, Pastor Michael. K-Earth will help you some of the oldies but I did not shoot the deputy (laughs) some of you knew it what kind of song is that think about it I wrote a song honey what did you write it's called I shot the sheriff what (laughs) now of course he claims that was in self defense and apparently Lamech is kind of saying that too This is Lamech's taunt song. It's the song of the sword. Music is a gift. Some of it is neutral. Some of it will guide you to the true God and some of it will take you down some railroad tracks you don't want to go down. Arkant Hughes says, virtually any evil can be made to appear morally compelling by the skillful use of script, music, and cinematography. Lamech's song glorifies violence as a badge of honor, close quote. I pulled into a gas station one day, just putting gas in my car. This guy pulls up next to me with the boom, 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 right? I don't get that, but anyway. But then I started hearing the words of the song. And I was like, oh my goodness. And he wasn't being like mild about playing it. It was saying something very condescending about his mother. And I was like, really? Like, in the gas station blaring, no shame? No shame. And a lot of what's going on in our society right now is through inventions that could be used for good, but now being used for evil. Do you know, right now, parents, your kids are a generation that are being totally bombarded with technology to the point that If you don't try to steer it, there's going to be trouble. There's messages coming everywhere. It's all available. It's a click away. And we have generations now that, man, they're on the train. And I have to tell you, the train's going to crash. If America does not have a spiritual awakening and a revival, this train is going to crash. Now, there is going to be hope, but... In Lamech, it's interesting because Lamech says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. I don't know if he got in a little spat with somebody and killed a guy, but the language could mean that he even killed a boy because, uh, look look in the song again, I have killed a man, that's Ish, for wounding me, and a boy, that's Yeled, for striking me. And sometimes the word Yeled is actually a young boy. Apparently, Lamech was... Not only beating his chest for killing at least one, maybe two, but he wrote a song about it and he called his wives in. One of the worst fears of a woman to have a man 
who's violent. A man who wants to beat his chest and say, I will rule you. And by the way, that's what God said in Genesis 3.16. Your desire will be for your husband. She'll want to take authority and he will rule over you. And it's not always going to be pretty. And Lamech must have put fear into his wives. After all, he's talking about killing men. And now, why did he call his wives in to show them the song? Is he trying to put them in their place? Is he trying to say, I'm the man, you better just listen to me or you may be next? Is that the message? That's the way of Cain. That's the Cain train. Glorifying honor, uh, glorifying and honoring uh, violence. And he says not only that, but he says, you know how uh, Cain, God said to Cain, if someone did anything to him, it would be a sevenfold payment of revenge by God. Well, I guess, I guess I'll tell you something better. Mine is going to be 77. If Cain is avenged 24 sevenfold, then Lamech, 77. He doesn't even mention God. He just says, I'll mete out the judgment myself. Sevens in the Bible are numbers of what? Perfection and completion. So basically what he's saying is, my vengeance will be full and complete. Man, you can see the beginning of man's mindset for war and revenge all here in sevens. Peter came up to Jesus in the New Testament and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? The rabbis taught three, I'm saying seven. What do you think, Lord? And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. It's true, Cain had seven. It's true, Lamech boasted about 77. Jesus said, I tell you, 70 times seven. And there are scholars that believe Jesus is alluding to the story of Lamech. And he's saying, Peter, you've got to learn that my way, my train, is not the way of violence. It's not the way of the world. It's not the way of uh, killing your brother and spilling his blood. My way is my blood will be shed, and I want you to learn to forgive people in completeness. In fact, 70 times 7 to scholars means inexhaustibly. If you want to have a good marriage, you must keep forgiving. If you want to have good relationships in your business, you must keep forgiving. We must forgive each other as Christ has what? Forgiven us. You say, that's so hard. Yeah, but think of all he's forgiven you. Which train are you on? Final verses. We go back now to Adam. Adam, verse 25, had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. I mean, it's been a mess in the line of Cain, but now another boy is born. His name is Seth, and his name means appointed or granted or substituted. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed him. And she might even add, and I don't even know where he is. Do you know that the name of Seth appears in Luke 3.38 in the lineage of Jesus? The name of Seth. And in a dark passage, hope begins to glisten because now Seth is born. Because if the way of Cain, if the line of Cain was it, do you think we'd be in some trouble? We need godly people around this country to be salt and light. And Seth is born to change 
the ways, to, to bring light. He's, he's a man that is a substitute for the seed. Abel dies, but there was a promise of a Messiah in Genesis 3.15, and it would come through the seed of the woman, and now Seth is born to keep that hope alive. Do you see? The hope is in the future coming Messiah. And it will come, he will come through the line of Seth. And to Seth, final verse, to him also was born. And to Seth, to him also a son was born. And he called his name Enosh. You'll notice he'll be in the genealogy in Luke 3. Then, here's what happens. Men began to call upon the name Shem of the Lord Yahweh. Then, when Seth came along, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth and his generation, because the word call can mean proclaim, changed the song. Lamech was pounding his chest. The train was going down the track. Violence was being uh, celebrated and people were going in bad ways and Seth is born and that, that is when people became to call, came to call upon the name of the Lord. Kenneth Matthews beautifully captures the significance of men beginning to call upon the name of the Lord, saying, Cain's firstborn and successors pioneer cities and civilized arts, but Seth's firstborn and successors pioneer worship. And they began to proclaim the name of the Lord. Do you know what we need in America, in the world, even in the professing church culture? Men and women who are willing to stand up even in the public square, and proclaim the name of the Lord. Do you believe that? That's why this building exists, by the way. We are here to proclaim his name, to change the song, to hopefully redirect the train before it's too late. And in a dark passage with all this stuff going on, Seth emerges, a child who will be used by God, a godly line. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be what? I want to close here. Do you know him? Do you know him personally? If you left this building and got in a car accident, and we have a story in the history of our congregation where someone heard the word of God in this congregation, prayed a sinner's prayer, and died the next week in a car accident. It happens, you guys. I'm not trying to be morbid or anything, but I'm just saying the Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Do you know him? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Not just a building you come to, not just a thing you do. Do you know him and the power of his resurrection? and even the fellowship of his sufferings. You can take the Christ train and he'll take you all the way home to glory. Salvation is not by works. It is a gift of God. It's given by grace. It's not the result of works so that no one can boast. No one's gonna go up into heaven pounding their chest, shaking their fist, I think everybody who ends up in heaven is going to be falling on their face. Would you agree? And I'm so glad to be on that train. <laughs> not that I earned it, not that I deserve it, 
but he gives it. He's already punched my ticket. How about you? I know so many of your faces personally here, and I know so many of you have a personal relationship with Christ, and that's so awesome. But if you don't, or if you have any doubt about that, why not on this first Sunday here at Living Truth (laughs) make that official? doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, you can have a new start and a new, even a new family line. Maybe you can plant your flag and say, hey, I've come from major dysfunction, but for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And uh, if that's you, if you don't know Jesus, that's why we're here. It's to make him known and to make sure people have a personal walk with him. If you want to rededicate your life, you feel like you've been on the wrong train. Maybe you, you jumped on the back to see what it was like again. Maybe you're a prodigal. Maybe you, you've been in the church, but you've been out for a while, and you've been, you've been that wanderer. You're, you're Roman. Make it right. He's a prayer away. He's here right now. He'll save you. He'll restore your life. But you must answer the door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. By the way, that was written to a church, not to the secular world, to the church. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you so much for this first special Sunday here at Living Truth and for all the precious saints that are here in this building today. Father, we are so grateful for the way that you have orchestrated events that we could be here for such a time as this. We give you all the glory. We lay the the future Sundays at your feet and Wednesday nights and everything else that will happen in this building. I praise you for all the volunteers and teachers and all the wonderful saints of God. We're looking forward to having a donut in the courtyard for the first time, Lord, and hanging out together in this great new building. But before we do that, Lord, I just want to ask that you would move in the hearts of people this morning. Those who are hearing my voice, you use our voices to be often your voice, to proclaim the name of the Lord. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. The gospel's good news. If it's you and you don't know him, it's something like this. I would encourage you to pray it right now and settle it. Cry out to him. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe you entered this world. Pray it if it's you to save me. I believe you died on the cross and shed your blood for me that you rose from the dead to defeat my greatest enemy, death itself. I repent of my sin. And I receive you as my personal Lord and my Savior. Please save me because I want the train to go all the way to heaven. I don't want to take the cane train. Help me, Lord, to turn around. If you're crying out to him from the depths of your heart, he'll hear your cry. But the door handle is on your side. You must let him in. You must receive him. That's what it means to ask Jesus into your heart. It means to open the door. Let him be Lord. Instead of you ruling your life, let him rule it. He'll take you to green pastures and still waters. And he'll restore your soul. 
He'll give you a new start. You'll be a new creation in Christ. You won't be perfect overnight, but he'll be changing you. He'll be chiseling away. Stay in that attitude of worship, church. If you uh, just want to cry out to the Lord for a healing you need, a family member that you're concerned about, a situation, these are the moments. The Holy Spirit's here. Lord, extend your hand and bring healing to lives right now that need it. We're here to celebrate, but we're also here to get closer to you. If you're a prodigal and you've been going on that opposite train, he can change the tracks of your life. Just let him in. Let him steer he'll take you to those places that I know you desire to be. Father, thank you for all those who may be crying out to you in these moments. Thank you for your wonderful blessing of this church facility. We ask and, and, and worship you in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand?